I had this interesting memory. I was at my computer reading over our passage that we're going to look at today, and I had this memory of when I was snorkeling in the warm waters of the Pacific Ocean. Now you're thinking, well, that's not Oregon. No, it wasn't Oregon. It was actually when we took a family trip to Hawaii, and, and we got all the gear. Do you know they even make uh, snorkeling gear with, that accommodates for bad eyesight? I thought that was so cool, so I didn't have to try to wear my glasses or contacts. But anyway, I love that. We got all the gear, and if you've done it, and many of you have, you get into this really shallow water, and you put your head down, and what do you see? It's just phenomenal what's in the water. All these brightly colored fish, all these weird-looking, like, plant-like things. They're just everywhere, and you just paddle and paddle and paddle. You see all this stuff. And I remember we were in this little cove, and we were having a great time, and and then there was this little point out here with this big rock, so I paddled out there, and all of a sudden, just past this rock, it got really deep. I thought, well, that was kind of cool, because it was really clear, so you could see really deep, but all of a sudden, I noticed the fish down there are much bigger. <laughs> and I had this thought, I'll look for a while, but I think I'll go back to the shallow area. Now, how does that relate to this passage? I've been looking at this passage over and over again, and I'm seeing all these really cool things in there. And there, there's some really big things that to some people actually look really scary, and we don't want to deal with those. We just like the things kind of on the surface. But today, we're going to go back and review just a little bit some of the smaller, more minor points I called them last week. We'll call them the small fish. But then the big fish and why those big fish, while they seem really ominous sometimes, and I would say even avoided by some people, are really important for us. So if you're able, I'd like you to stand with me right now, and I'm going to read out loud. Um, it'll be on the screen. I always invite you to read in your Bible if you do have it. It's Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Now, some of this we've already covered, you've already heard it, but as I read it, just look for, look for some of the repetition, look for some of the contrasts that are made, because those become very important. Romans 5, starting in verse 12, says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation, on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace 
and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we again are here because we want your truth to become transformative in our lives. We confess our inability to understand your truth apart from the Holy Spirit. So with that confession, there's the request that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit today truth that is important, uh, that reveals the glory of Jesus. So we look forward to this time in your word together in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It has been said that this passage is one of the most difficult in Scripture to understand. It's always daunting when you read something like that. Well, and I would say it's not easy, but I don't know that it's the most difficult. It just seems to me as I've been reading over this text over and over again that there's this repetition that comes with all this weight of truth that you kind of, it's like, it's overwhelming. I thought of, it's like when you, when you sit down in front of this huge breakfast buffet and you say, this is the most difficult breakfast buffet ever. Well, no, it's not difficult. There's just so much there that it becomes overwhelming. And it's kind of like this with this passage and other passages. Last week, we covered verses 12 through 14. And we saw a couple minor points. Here they were. We saw the reality of Adam. It's not the main point he's trying to make, but Adam was a real person. He's not mythical. He's historical. And because of that, then that a direct application to us who are not mythical, but we are all historical. And again, if you, if you take the creation of Adam and the fall of Adam and all that is just a mythical story. You undo so much of what is in the New Testament and you dismiss the importance of Jesus. We looked at the responsibility of Adam. We all know that Eve sinned first, not Adam, but in this text, as well as many others, Adam is called out as the one that sinned. Again, that's not the major point of the text, but I would say, men, it does become a major point to us as we understand that all through Scripture in different ways and in different places, we have this truth that God holds men in a unique role of responsibility and accountability and I would say authority in the home and in the church, particularly that we can't dismiss and we should never run away from as it appears that Adam 
There's a couple of the minor points. But what's the big one? What's the big point? The big point is seeing the relationship between Adam, who was very real, and us now, who are very real. And in this text, even right here, it is repeated three different times in three different ways so we don't miss it. Here it is. I just reset those verses a little bit differently. You can see there, one man impacted all men. You see that? In verse 15, the transgression of the one impacted the many. In verse 18, one transgression resulted in condemnation to all men. It's repeated three different times using some different words. One time it talks about sin, which is a general missing of the mark, and twice it's transgression, which is a going over the line. One time it talks about the impact is death, and then it talks about it that it's condemnation. So that becomes a major point of the text. And I said last week that Adam not only sinned at that moment, but at that moment became a sinner because he then continued to sin. He was changed at that moment. And that becomes very critical then as it relates to us. Do we sin? Yes. But the point of the text is, because it's repeated so clearly, we haven't just sinned like Adam, we are sinners like Adam in our very nature. So that is why there's death, which is separation. That is why there's condemnation, which is appropriate from a just God to those who are sinners by action and by nature. Now, some hear that. I said it last week, and I'm saying it again as clear as I can this week, and there's a resistance to it. And maybe some of you here resist that. I don't know. Because you say that's not fair. I didn't even know Adam. I wouldn't know Adam from Adam. <laughs> and so there's a resistance to it because it just doesn't seem right. So let's expand this a little bit. Now, in theological terms, this whole idea of that Adam sinned, therefore we sinned, Adam was a sinner, therefore we're sinners. There's terms that go with that. Sometimes it's called the federal headship of Adam. Sometimes this idea of original sin is put with this concept. Or sometimes depravity or total depravity. And some, even as I say those words, that's met with kind of this harsh repulsion as if somehow that's contrary to the biblical text. I'm just going to say it again. As you look at what's on the screen, it seems like the Apostle Paul, as he writes these words, repeats it three different ways, three different times, to make sure that we don't miss this point. So what does it mean that there's this original sin that we're all born with? Or, to use another term, that we're totally depraved. What does that mean? First of all, it doesn't mean that people can't do good things. Even wonderful things at times. It doesn't mean even that people can't have a general understanding of God. If you remember going back in Romans 1, 
it said that God has made himself known to who? Everybody. So that they're without excuse because there's this sense in creation and in conscience that there is a God. So it's not like they're not aware because of original sin. It's just they can't respond because of that sin problem. Now one asked this, some, and I've, I've, I've talked with people and said, well, so is there any proof beyond scripture of this? And my first response of that is, do you need more proof than scripture? I mean, this is what it says. So do we need somehow some external source? Because it doesn't just say it here, but it says it in other places. Ephesians chapter 2. Let me put it up here for you. And I want you to notice come to the same words that are used. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Do you see some of the same terms? We were dead, we're in our trespasses, and there's sin. And then it talks about that is manifest in all kinds of different ways, but then it ends and says, we were, that's all of us, he's writing to Christians, we were at one time by nature, by nature we were children of wrath. That means in our very nature there was a sin problem that would appropriately bring the wrath of God. That word nature is very important there. If you dig into it, it has this idea of, of kind of growth or natural production. In other words, that's who we naturally are from birth. So is there proof outside of Scripture? I would say we don't need any proof outside of Scripture, but there is proof outside of Scripture. You go to any major urban area on any weekend night, you're going to see original sin on full display. We watch the news, we see original sin on full display in our world. Or you could just go down the hall to our nursery. <laughs> and eventually you'll see original sin on full display. Now, some people chalk up what happens in the urban areas as, well, it's all about the environment. They just have this terrible environment. That's why they do what they do. And I would agree that environment is terrible, and some people have been raised in terrible, terrible environments. And I would say that is certainly a factor, but that is not the source. Because you go down to our nursery, it's a really nice environment. And kids dropped off there come from real nice environments with wonderful parents that love them. But you wait long enough, the sleeping tyrant will awake and you'll see original sin displayed. I kind of stumbled across something this week that was just fascinating to me. It was a document that was written back in 1926. The whole document is 77 pages long and was written 
by the Minnesota Crime Commission trying to explain at that time why there was such a rise in crime. Now, this was back in 1926. I'm going to put this on the screen, and you might see, like, this is kind of weird, coming from a secular source. 1926, the Minnesota Crime Commission, this document said, every baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it, his bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch, or whatever. Deny him this, and he seized with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He's dirty. He has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but all children are born delinquent. <laughs> that is phenomenal for me to read that from a secular source some 100 years ago and then compare that to how we think about this whole issue today. It seems to be a little bit different. But I'm just going to say that what that is on the screen there seems to really mesh with what Scripture says. There is a problem that everybody's born with, and eventually it surfaces in all kinds of ugly, ugly ways. And so we're now in a culture trying to fix the environment, which, again, I would say there is some things we can do to help the environment in some cities, but that is not going to help the heart. Amen? So that document and the weight of scripture, and again, I'm going to say we don't even need that document to somehow validate the weight of scripture. It reveals a truth, a truth that many people even today just want to deny, they want to reject, they want to minimize, or they ignore it. Now, what is the danger if we do that? This big major truth that's coming out of this passage in Romans 5, what is the danger if we deny it or reject it or ignore it or minimize it? Well, the danger is not that we somehow think of people better than they are because honestly, I honestly want to think the best of people. I just do. And I don't think there's anything wrong with thinking the best of people. That's not the problem here. The problem is, is if we deny or reject or minimize this major truth of Scripture about original sin and being dead in sin and in our trust, if we deny that, it's not that we think of people better, we think of Jesus Christ as less than he really is. Let me say that again. This truth, the reason it's so important is not because we might think about people better, but we'll think about Jesus and what he has done in a, in a much smaller way than what he has really done. And I hope I can show that in the text. Type of him who is to come. Adam was a type, and we talked about that. That means there's something seen in Adam that we also see in Jesus. So if we dismiss Adam, and if we dismiss the damage that came through Adam, 
then we also minimize or dismiss what can come through Jesus. Do you see how they're connected? If we reject this connection between us and Adam, between that one man that killed us spiritually, then we also will minimize or even reject what Jesus can do in making us alive again. The whole weight of this scripture is not just making the point, but then showing how important it is for the magnifying of what Jesus has done. So I'm going to say it a few more times. If we minimize the impact of our connection with the one man, Adam, then we minimize the impact of the connection we can have with Jesus and what he will do for us. I'm going to say it one more time. If we deny all that we lost in the one mad Adam, then we will fail to see all that we can have by our connection with this one man, Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at this bulk of the text, I'm going to try to put it all up on the screen here. The bulk of the text, starting in verse 16, I'm going to read this again. And this was the part I read this over and over and over again. I said, where, where's it at? And finally, I saw some symmetry in here that made that comparison over and over and over again. So I'm just going to read it again, see if you can see the comparison that the Apostle Paul makes with Adam and Jesus repeatedly. Starting in verse 16, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. There was one. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted in condemnation to all, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted in justification of life to all men. For as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of one the many will be made righteous. Now, I probably read that and he said, I don't see the symmetry. So again, I had to read that over and over again before it became really obvious. So then, here's what I want to do for you. I just want to take those verses and show you the symmetry. That's why I like being able to use the screens because it was on my screen. It said, this makes sense now. So if we go to that next slide, we take those same verses. You see the symmetry. Verse 16, judgment arose or there was a free gift that arose. One transgression, many transgressions, resulting in condemnation or what? Justification. Do you see the symmetry? Verse 17, transgression of one, death reigned, and the symmetry is gift of righteousness. There's a reigning in life. Verse 18, this is very clear. Through one transgression, there resulted in condemnation. That's equal to through one gift of righteousness, there resulted in justification. Do you see the comparison he's making? Verse 19, one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. The obedience of one, many will be made righteous. Understand, what I'm trying to point out, the reason this idea of original sin is so important that we accept it, even though it seems quite difficult, is if we minimize that, then we, by 
by necessity, minimize what Jesus Christ has done to solve this huge problem that we're all born with. Now, with those verses on the screen, I want to show you one more thing that's very important. Verse 18. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. That verse, taken in isolation, would prove the point for those that are universalists. What that means is it would prove the point that what Jesus did on the cross ultimately saves everybody. And there's nobody that is ever in hell because that verse says all men have condemnation and all men are justified. Now, I'll just be honest with you. I would love to believe that. That would make me feel a lot better to believe that. And that's the conclusion we'll come to if we just take that verse in isolation from the whole context. And that's how we have, I would say, erroneous views of Scripture. And we take one verse that we really like and we camp on that and that then becomes the truth. So put it in context, and what you will see if you look at the verse once be, right before it, the all men of verse 18 is equal to those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. That's the point he's making, that there is sin and condemnation in this one man, Adam, and there is freedom and forgiveness and justification for all those who find themselves in Christ as opposed to simply in Adam. So I'm trying to make two main points here. I hope you're getting this. We're all born in sin, dead in sin, because of what Adam did thousands of years ago. We can be made righteous and free from that sin by what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's the big picture in this text. So as we move on in the text, I just want to highlight a couple more things that just, again, this week as I study it, it it's like, aha, I get it, I think. Verse 15, he says, but the free gift is not like the transgression. That just messed me up. I thought Adam was like Christ. And he says, no, it's not like the transgression. And then he says it again in verse 16. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. So which is it, the Apostle Paul, I would ask the Apostle Paul, is, is it like or is it different? Well, it's kind of both. Let me show you this. This helped me. On the screen, you're going to see two dogs. And they're very similar, right? <laughs> they're both dogs, right? Four legs, tails, ears, hairy. But one's different. One is much more of a dog, right? <laughs> One is much more. Scott, I was going to try to get a photo of your dogs to put on the screen, but yeah. One's a much more of a dog. So now, look at this text. Here's another thing that's repeated. Much more, much more. This Jesus is much more. Yes, he's a type of Adam, and Adam is a type of Christ, but in Jesus we have much, much more. That's the point. Go back one slide, please, Lori. 
See the much mores? Much more. And then it says abound. And then it says much more. And then it says abundance. It's like he's saying, yes, Adam ruined it. Yes, Jesus can fix it. But there's much, much more in what Jesus can do. That's the point he's trying to make. Another pastor I was listening to this week illustrated it this way. And again, this kind of made sense then. So let's say that Adam starts at zero. He's kind of innocent. He's neutral. He's in the garden. Everything is good. But then he sins. And that puts him to negative 100, spiritually, let's say. So he was zero, and now he's negative 100. But what did Jesus do? Does Jesus give us positive 100? If you know your math, if you were at negative 100, and then you're at positive 100 through Jesus, what are you back to? Zero. Are we zero in Jesus? No, that's the point. There's much more. Well, however you want to do the calculations, if Adam was zero and, and now he's minus 100 and then there's Jesus, it is way past what Adam was. That's the point he's trying to make. There's much, much more that we get in Jesus that Adam ever destroyed for us. Again, that's why there's much more two times, abound, abundance, grace abounded to all. And it made me think of, remember what those two times in the Gospels when Jesus fed thousands of people? And it was, I, I don't know how that happened. Of course, it was a miracle, but I would love to be there when it was just multiplied and multiplied. And both of those stories, it was an amazing. There was just enough food, and that was all. Now, some of you are saying, well, that's not right. It's not right, because every one of those stories, there was enough and then much, much more left over. That's just the way God is. What we experience in God through Jesus Christ gives us much, much more than we would ever need or can even comprehend. That's why there's a wonderful passage in Ephesians. He is able to do much more than we can imagine or think. It's so much more. So much more. So, I've been in error in the past in making a statement to you. And it kind of been clear to me. I've said things like this in the past. And I, and I and I was trying to highlight a point. I said, when we come to Christ, we're not just forgiven. We actually go back to a place where Adam was in a right relationship with God. Now, that's true. But when I'm looking at this text, no, we just don't go back to what Adam had with a relationship. We have so much more. That was just not an accurate statement. God's not trying to get us back to what Adam had. He's trying to get us to experience so much more than Adam ever experienced. So what does that look like? So again, we don't just go back to the garden. Scripture says we are now seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's so much more, amen? We don't just go back to innocence. Scripture tells us we are very we, we stand and are clothed with the very righteousness of Jesus. That's so much more. We don't go back to a place where there's just nice flowers and it's just beautiful. Scripture says we live in an environment where there's joy inexpressible and full of glory. 
We didn't just go back to a time when Adam was <clears throat> met with God in the cool of the day. We live in a place where we are with God 24-7 with the Holy Spirit in us. We just don't go back to Adam having authority on the earth. Now get this, Scripture says we have authority in the heavenlies, in the spiritual realm. We don't just live under the reign of God as Adam did. Scripture, this particular text says we reign with him even in the spiritual realm. Now this amazing truth, again, highlighted in verse 17 for if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign. So it's not talking about that death reigned and now life reigned. He said those of us who have a relationship connected with Jesus, we are the ones that reign in him in this life. That's the much more of the text. It's not just that one day we will reign in heaven, and Scripture does refer to that, but there's a foreshadowing of that even now that we have authority to reign even in the spiritual realm and this dark, dark world that we live in right now. Now, we could spend a lot of time unpacking that, but time won't allow us to do that right now. But that means, at the minimum, a couple of things. We do not and should never, as followers of Jesus, live as victims in this life. Yes, things happen to us. Yes, people abuse us. Yes, people control us and dominate us, and that impacts us. But we have now the ability to reign through Christ even in this life. So we, we just need to let go of this victim mentality and understand that, yes, those things happened, but those things don't identify me. Jesus Christ identifies me. In Christ we reign because we stand in his authority. We stand in his power. And scripture tells us that Jesus has all authority and all power. Now just process that. What does authority mean? Authority means Jesus has the right to rule. He has all the right to rule because of who he is. Power means he has the ability to rule in every way that is needed. And then we reign with him in his authority and in his power. Church, that should change the way we live our lives. Now that doesn't mean we don't have problems. That doesn't mean we don't struggle. But we live in such a way that we recognize what we need doesn't come from us. It ultimately comes from who? Jesus, that we're now connected with, not somehow just because we're human in this connection with Adam. Adam lived in a sin-free environment. We live in a sin-saturated environment. Amen? Yet still, unlike Adam... We don't have to be slaves to that sin. We don't have to be duped by that sin. Scripture says we are free, but not just free, but free indeed to live life as God intended us to. It's 
So we kind of focused on one major thing in our text today. We could have said a whole lot more. Um, Lori, I'm going to go off script here a little bit, so bear with me. So there's this whole part where it says that, that when the law came in, sin increased, or where there was no law, sin was not imputed. Okay, we didn't even cover that, but let me just say what that means is Adam sinned and he transgressed something. And before the law came, there was no clear thing to transgress, but was there still sin? Yes, there was still sin. But now there's law, and now the transgression becomes very clear. That's why it says when the law came, sin increased. And hold that thought because Scott's going to pick that up next week when he asks the question, so then let's just keep on sinning so that grace may increase. You see the connection between our text here and where Scott's going next week. Just I want to ask two questions and then we're done. Are you in Christ or are you still in Adam? Understand, you were born in Adam. Every one of us were born in Adam. We were born as sinners with original sin that is worthy of judgment by eternal holy God. If you're here today and you're just still in that state, I exhort you, understand what Jesus Christ has done for you and come and be under Christ. Recognize that his death was a substitution for you if you would receive it. The judgment that was placed on him is the judgment that should be placed on every one of us. And so turn away and repent and just express to God you recognize your need for him. Surrender to him. That's the first question. Are you in Adam still or are you in Christ? And then if you're in Christ this morning, let me just ask you, are you reigning with Christ? Or are you limping along? Are you identifying yourself with your past in Adam? Or are you identifying yourself in who you are in Christ? Are you living as a victim of everything that happens to you or recognizing, yes, things have happened to me, but that's not what defines me. I'm defined by what Jesus Christ has done. It was Jesus who said, the enemy comes in to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I came that they might have life. Ah, but so much more, right? Life abundantly. So maybe as we close and as Daniel and Alyssa come back to sing, there could be a time where just, you're just communicating with God wherever you're at right now spiritually. And if you're a believer, you're in Christ, but you just need to, to reset and acknowledge all that you have in Jesus, then do that today. So, so don't go out the same way you came in. If you came in today and you're struggling and you're burdened, Go out differently. And if I can help by praying with you, Scott's down here as well. Let's pray with you so you can be encouraged and, and get the much more that Jesus came to provide for us. Let's pray. Fathers, we just, uh, I guess, linger 
in the stillness there for a moment. I'm just reminded again, even as I kind of attempted to present this amazing truth, we recognize there's so much more. And so I just pray that your Holy Spirit would well up even in this place for those that are struggling right now. They know you, but they're struggling. Will you just encourage them today that Jesus is indeed enough for them? And they don't need anything else. They don't need some system, but they can just fully receive all that you have for them. Father, I am obviously not able to even know what that means in the lives of these people, so I'm asking you, by your Holy Spirit, to work. And of course, Father, if there's some here still today, they're, they're still in Adam because they've not come to you completely. Maybe they're hanging on to something else or thinking they can do something or they have another system. Would you just help them understand that all they need is Jesus and all they have is Jesus. So even work in us, Father, as we sing these songs to you.